This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, Life Church. Good morning. So glad to be here. So glad that you're joining us online for this uh, online service. Um, as you know, you've already heard the announcement July 19th. We will be having public services again. That's just next, next week. So looking forward to many of you who will be joining us on, uh, publicly, you know, coming here in, in person. Uh, you'll be hearing more about all the kind of the requirements of, of that. You'll be hearing about that. But, uh, but if you choose to not come, if you're, not, if you're still concerned about coming and being a part of our public service, that's okay. We will still have this online platform for you to be watching. So I encourage you to do that. Also, I just want to say, I want to read a passage of Scripture, if you don't mind. I, I was thinking about um, the Apostle Paul. He was talking to, to the uh, Corinthians. And um, <clears throat> he's talking to, to the Corinthians, and he says this to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. So we can conclude from Paul's words here that these, uh, these Macedonians are really struggling. There's a lot of testing. There's a lot of persecution. And, and I would say that even today in our world, we are struggling as well. There's a lot of challenges with COVID-19, the racial tensions and all of that. So maybe we identify to some extent with these Macedonians. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they, have, that they gave not only what they, what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They, did, they even did more than we had hoped for, their, than we had hoped, their, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do it. And I just, I, I think this, think about these Macedonians. And I think this is exactly how, I feel like the Apostle Paul, I'm definitely not the Apostle Paul, but I feel like the Apostle Paul saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Macedonians. Thank you so much, Life Church. Because in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of so much t- challenge and trial and struggle that people are going, families that we're engaging with, that we know that they're really struggling. In the midst of all of that, you have shown yourself incredibly generous. And you've allowed us to continue to stay on mission. So thank you so much for your generosity. I want to encourage you to continue to give faithfully. You can see the links in the, in the, in the text below of how you can give. So I encourage you to continue to give faithfully. Thank you so much for your generosity. Now, <clears throat> we're going to continue on in our series, Follow Me. And uh, today what I'm going to do is I just want to jump right into the passage that we're going to be uh, looking at today. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. There are several throughout the Gospels that you'll find that are considered the hard sayings of Jesus. This one's found in Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 57. Let's take a look. It says, as they were walking along, talking about Jesus and his disciples, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Let's go on. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus then replies, but Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. 
Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And we hear these words of Jesus, you think, man, Jesus must have been having one of those days because it's such, such a hard saying. I mean, he's using very strong language here, and he's especially talking about this very topic that this whole series is about, following him. What does it look like to follow him? In this last verse here in, in, in this passage, he uses agricultural language. He says, if you, if, if you grip the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God, he says. This agricultural language, what he uses. In fact, the Bible often uses agricultural language and metaphors to help us understand our calling in life, our purpose in life, our mission, and what we're, what we're supposed to be doing in this world. In fact, in today's world, there's a lot of discussion about, about purpose and mission. There are a lot of people looking for meaning in life, asking themselves, God, what is it you want me to do? What do you want to do with my life? And so the Bible uses agricultural imagery to help us understand his purpose for our lives, what the mission is that we're supposed to be engaged in. In the Bible, God is prayed to as the Lord of the harvest, for example. That's an agricultural term. He's the Lord of the harvest, the Bible, the, God's word is, is, is referred to as a seed that gets planted and watered. We as individuals are referred to as field workers who are, our job is to plow and to plant and to harvest. This is the imagery that's used in the Bible concerning um, the role that we have in this world. It's agricultural image. Now, we don't live in an agrarian society today, so as we read this passage, as we read several of the agricultural references in the gospel, it's easy sometimes for us to overlook it or to miss the point. It doesn't really translate well into our industrial society, these, this, this metaphor that Jesus is using. Um, I mean, working in the field and getting your hands dirty is, is very different from sitting behind a desk and, and, and signing papers, right? It's just not the same analogy. So it seems like what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that you and I are called to be field workers. You and I are called to put our hands to the plow, to get our hands dirty. You you and I are invited into this, this work of kingdom, of building God's kingdom, and it's hard work. That's who we've been called to be. And so when Jesus says to you and me, grip the plow, it may not be very appealing. It may not be very enticing. I mean, it's a call to work a call to personally engage. It's a call to, to every person in, in, in life church and this church community to get involved, to not just sit on the sidelines, but to really, really engage. I mean, <clears throat> when I think about it, when I think about life church, I, and I start imagining or dreaming of how if all of us, if everybody had called life church their home church, if every one of them said, I'm gonna grip the plow and I'm not gonna look back, I can't even imagine what God can do through this church if we just simply engage in that way. So we, what we want to do is we want to be, as members of this church, we want to be field workers. We want to be on mission together, accomplishing what God has called us to do. Now, what we see here, this idea comes to us from Luke chapter 9. Um, to give you a little bit of context here, this is a time in which Jesus is actually very popular. In fact, he's so popular that people are just coming up to him and saying, hey, I want to follow you. 
I want to be a part of your crew. I've seen you do miracles. I've seen you do amazing signs and wonders. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And so, and so there's these three would-be followers that approach Jesus basically to follow him. We don't know if this was happening all at once or maybe this was uh, one person came at one point, another person came at another point. I don't know. But all three of these guys are three different people, but they all have the same thing in common. They want to follow Jesus in such a way that it doesn't really require anything from them. They want a no strings or a few strings attached kind of relationship with Jesus. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. They want to attend, but they don't really want to engage. They want to show up, but they don't really want to step up. And so Jesus is going to speak to them about how that's not really the kind of relationship he's looking for. Jesus is going to challenge them. Early on, when I first became a a follower of Jesus, I kind of came to terms with this idea. In fact, I was surrounded by people that said, hey, listen, following Jesus may be the hardest thing you've ever done in life. I was a young man, so I hadn't really done a lot of hard things. But it's true. I remember early on just coming to terms with this, okay, God, you have my whole life. And I remember at one point studying through the Gospel of John, and and, and I was just enthralled. In fact, I came to John chapter 6 to this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You've heard me preach about that many times. For, for Since I was a young Christian, I have I've been in love with that story. <clears throat> And so, uh, you know, Jesus feeds the 5,000. This amazing miracle happens. Such a cool story. And I always looked at that story and just wondered, what would it be like to be there? But it's interesting that right after that story, there's, some, there's, a, there's this activity that happens between Jesus and all these people that he's fed. The next day, they, they wake up and, and Jesus is not around. Jesus has gone to the other side of the lake. So they go to the other side of the lake to meet him. And when they meet him, they're like, hey, uh, is there any more free food, <laughs> right? We, were, we woke up this morning thinking there was gonna be a breakfast buffet. I mean, last night was awesome. Fish and bread, you just provided for everybody. Maybe this morning you're gonna give us something a little bit different. And then Jesus discerns that the only reason that they're there is because they want this free food or they want, they want the benefits of being around Jesus. So he says, listen, I'm the bread of life. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you will never be hungry again. You'll never thirst again. And they're kind of freaked out by that. I mean, Jesus tell them, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're coming. But there comes a point where you need to make a decision. That you're here to follow me and not so much just for the benefits. You're here to follow me, not so much just for the bread. And so at the end of this story, you find in John chapter 6, verse 66, this is what it says. From this time, after Jesus told him, hey, eat my flesh, drink my blood, you know, he says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, you know what strikes me about this when, when this happened? when they decided to no longer follow Jesus because the demand was too much, Jesus seems to be okay with that. He didn't call his 12 disciples together and say, hey guys, listen, we're losing people in the church. Why don't, let's, let's organize an ice cream social or something. Let's have some giveaway so that people can come back to the church. He doesn't do that. He seems to be okay with it. In fact, that the, 
the, the crowd had left and those that were left behind, Jesus was like, these are the guys who have committed to following me. This is what he wanted. And as a church, as a church, we want to be a people who come and, and follow him. Now listen, as a church, we want people to come here and, ex- and, and really have a great experience, right? We want this as a church to be a safe place where people can ask questions and, and discover you know, their faith. We want this place to be a, a place where they don't just feel welcome, but they feel wanted. That's what we want here at this place as a church, for people to walk through these doors and, and enjoy the experience. But we also want to, as a church, to say what we often say to people, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. That there comes a moment where you have to step across the line and make a commitment. In fact, making a commitment is one of the most important things you need to do in life. You and I, our lives are defined. Our lives are ultimately defined by the commitments that we make. The choices that we make along the way to say, I'm committing myself to this. I'm I'm committing myself to Jesus Christ. I'm committing myself to my marriage. I'm committing myself to raising my kids in a certain way. I'm committing myself to being a faithful uh, attender of life church. These commitments will ultimately define our lives. Some of the most miserable people I know are the ones who are half in and half out. So as a church, I want to be really clear about this call that we have to follow him. It's a call to grip the plow, grip the plow, and don't look back. So this passage that we read, <clears throat> there's a heading in the NIV. If you're reading the NIV version, there's the heading of this whole section that we read is the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. Now, we don't talk about this often because we, we understand that to, be a, to, to give your life to Christ and to experience salvation is a free gift of God. So we don't associate costs with it. But there's something about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, follow me, it does cost us something. There's a cost that we take on. And so let's look at these three guys, these three would-be followers. The first one, in verse 57, it says this. I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I love this word wherever right here. That's a great word. Wherever. Wherever means, hey, there's, there's, there's you know, I'm not, I'm not calling the shots here, God. Wherever means there's no conditions. There's no negotiating going on here. Wherever actually means that Jesus, you are my Lord. But listen to how Jesus responds to this guy in verse 58. He says, Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He's like, um, I'm homeless, bro. <laughs> like, I don't have a place to live. I just want, you, I want, to, I want to make sure that you understand that, that, that where you and I, if you're following me, where you and I are sleeping tonight is right here out in this wilderness. I have nowhere else to go. And what Jesus does is he, he presents them with a crossroads. Every single one of us come to this place where there's a crossroads in our life where we have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. I have a, an image of that. <clears throat> the crossroads that Jesus presents here is this crossroads of comfort versus following Jesus. 
You can't follow Jesus and be comfortable always at the same time. Too many of us follow this road of comfort and we want Jesus to bless our journey. But there are times in this life where that's you and I walking down the road and Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me. And it means not, comfortable, not, not being comfortable. Most of us have come to this crossroads before where we have to choose between following Jesus or following comfort. Where what is God's dream for my life? Do I choose God's dream for my life or do I choose the American dream, right? And there'll be a time where God says, hey, you have to choose me. You have to choose me. It's your choice. It's actually in the same passage uh, in, in Luke chapter nine, where Jesus says these, these words that you and I have heard of in verse 23, he says, if anyone would, would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He uses his imagery of a cross. The cross is not comfortable. In fact, it's probably the most unappealing image that Jesus could have used to his disciples in that day because the cross had such a terrible reputation. I think sometimes when we say, I'll follow you wherever you go. What we really mean is I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus, as long as where you're going is where I was already going anyways. So my wife and I, sometimes we go out to eat and, uh, and she might on occasion say, hey, uh, you pick the restaurant. You, you decide where we're gonna go. And I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, how about some Mexican food? Let's get, I love Casa Azul here in town in Coralville. Let's go to Casa Azul, Right. And she might say, well, I don't really like Mexican food. I don't really want to eat Mexican food tonight. I'm like, okay, well, how about Olive Garden? Let's go to Olive Garden. Olive Garden's great. Well, too much carbs, too many carbs. I don't want to go to Olive Garden. Okay, well, then sushi. Let's do sushi. Rich, you know I hate sushi. <laughs> okay, how about Thai food? Let's go to Thai flavors. We love Thai flavors. Okay, Thai, Thai food's good. Let's go to Thai food. And, then she might, and she might even say, okay, well, you pick this time, so next time I get to choose. <laughs> When really, she made the choice all along, right? I think too many times that's how we treat Jesus. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to go wherever you want me to go as long as what you want me to do is what I wanted to do all along. I want to date whoever you want me to date as long as the person you want me to date is her. I want to go wherever you want me to go as long as you don't send me to the mission field. We say wherever, but I don't really think we really mean wherever. And so saying yes to Jesus almost always means saying no to myself. It's not comfortable, but listen. Listen, when I, let's put that image back up here of the crossroads. When I choose to follow Jesus, it's not always comfortable, but I'm not saying that it's not fulfilling. I'm not saying that it's not soul satisfying. It can be incredibly soul satisfying following Jesus. It can be incredibly fulfilling following Jesus, but it's not always comfortable following Jesus. Look, we've done many things along the years that have not been very comfortable. Starting this church 15 years ago, uh, Chris Carey and I and my family, my wife and my kids, we all decided we're gonna start this church 15 years ago. Hey, we were excited about it. I mean, it sounded so awesome and so sexy and all that, you know, to start this church. But just ask Chris and Anna, ask my kids, ask my wife. There were some moments along the way that were very, very uncomfortable. They were very difficult getting this church off the ground. Sleeping on, the, on hard floors in Bangladesh in these villages with mosquitoes all over the place. It wasn't always comfortable. 
In fact, it was sometimes very uncomfortable, but it was soul satisfying. And as a church, we're not going to stop saying yes to Jesus. We're not going to stop saying yes. That means that we're going to do the expensive thing, the very hard thing, the very time-consuming thing of starting a, of starting a campus in Cedar Rapids. It's not easy work. It's hard work. It's expensive work. It's time-consuming. But Jesus wants us to do it, so we say yes to Jesus. In fact, we've received a call from another church here in, in Iowa, a smaller town here in Iowa, that have asked us to partner with them and for them to become another campus of Life Church. And it sounds exciting, but make no mistake about it. It's hard work. It's expensive work. It's time-consuming. But as a church, we will continue to say yes to Jesus, which sometimes means uncomfortable. God's calling us to preach the gospel, to rescue and redeem that which is lost. It means getting our hands dirty. It means gripping the plow and working so I want to challenge you. <clears throat> I want to challenge you to say yes to Jesus. I want to challenge you to grip that plow, to be willing to just do the uncomfortable thing, to say, I'm in, Jesus, to do whatever it takes to go wherever you want me to go. In verse 59, Jesus goes on. He said, <clears throat> he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. We can go on. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus, Jesus responds here to this guy, it doesn't seem very pastoral of Jesus. I mean, it's his dad, right? It's his dad that he's supposed to bury, but most commentators would agree what, what's happening here is that these, this man has approached Jesus and said, listen, I want to follow you, Jesus, but when my father dies, in other words, he hasn't died, when my father dies, I will follow you. When my father dies and I get an inheritance and, my, and my, my financial life is secure, then I will follow you. Again, Jesus presents this crossroads type of choice to this, this guy. And he starts it by saying, first, let me. <clears throat> first, let me. Listen, anytime Jesus calls you to something and, and the first words out of your mouth is, first, let me do this. It's not good. It's not a good thing. It's, there's a problem there. Because what, what it says is that you're putting off for later what Jesus wants you to do now. Obedience and tomorrow doesn't always go well together. In the land of tomorrow is where you'll find unfulfilled dreams. When we say tomorrow, not now, Lord, but tomorrow, our dreams can be dashed. It's in the land of tomorrow that where you find broken marriages and addictions. Too many, I have too many friends that that's their case. That, that they, that I, know, I knew them. I knew exactly who they were and I knew the call on their life. And they said, okay, I feel called. I want to do this, but not now, tomorrow. And this is exactly where they're at. Today is the day. Now is the time to say yes to Jesus. The last person we see in the story, we find in verse 61. <clears throat> says, um, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, it's, it's one of the hardest sayings of Jesus in the Bible. No one who puts, his ha puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I think about that, 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 that saying of Jesus 
I'm like, really, Jesus? It just doesn't, it seems so uncharacteristic of you. And then I felt like the Lord just kind of revealed to me something that actually this is an expression of love. He says that because he loves you. In the same way that you and your wife, if, you, if, you, if you're married in our congregation or you and your husband, you went to an altar on your wedding day and you stood in that altar and you exchanged vows and you expressed commitment to each other, forsaking all others. When you forsake all others, when you say you're the only one, what, what it is is actually an expression of love. You're saying, Take my whole heart. Take my whole life. And that's really what Jesus is saying. In fact, the call to follow him is a call to surrender it all. I give you everything, Jesus. That's exactly the challenge I felt that November morning, early, early morning in 1983. On the side of that, of that Interstate 20, I, I pulled over there and I was just bawling my, my eyes out, just committing myself to follow Jesus. It meant doing the hard thing from time to time. It meant acting on obedience, even at the cost of forsaking security. It meant saying yes to Jesus and never looking back again. I remember that morning. I remember sitting in that car. I was listening to a Keith Green song called I Pledge My Head to Heaven. And as I was driving over the... Uh, uh, the overpass from 360 onto I-20, that song was playing and I just began to weep. The Holy Spirit filled that vehicle and it was God speaking to my heart saying, I want your heart, Rich. I want all of you. I want you to grip the plow and never look back again. I pulled over on the side of the road and I just wept and bawled as I was listening to that song. In fact, that song is what my wife and I had sung at our wedding several years later. In retrospect, when I think about that song, I pledge my head to heaven, that Keith Green song, if you've ever heard that song. Um, <clears throat> it was probably not the most appropriate song for a wedding, uh, especially for my unsaved family that were there. They're like, what? And they're freaking out, you know, with all, these, all this stuff. But the song really meant something to Christy and I. It was our commitment to each other, but also our commitment to God. To say, God, you're everything. God, you have my life. You have every part of me. The song has three verses that ask three questions. These are the three questions that are asked in this song. Will I, will I pledge my head to, for the gospel? Will I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel? Will I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel? Will I pledge my son to heaven for the gospel? These are, so, these are questions that Keith Green is asking of himself and us by proxy, I'm asking, asking myself. Each one of those questions are answered in the affirmative that no matter what life brings, we say yes, we say yes, we say yes to Jesus. In fact, that, that third question, will I pledge my son to heaven for the gospel? The answer in that question is, though he's kicked and beat and ridiculed. I will teach him to rejoice and lift a thankful, praising voice to him who bore the crown of who, 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 who was nailed and bore the crown of thorns. <clears throat> this is a commitment I made in 1983. I, I gripped the plow and I don't look back. 
along the way, I've been, I've had to remind myself of this commitment. 33 years ago, when my wife and I got married, we made that commitment, and along the way, I've had to remind myself of that commitment. There's been times I've wanted to let go of the plow. Even recently, with all of the enmity and the division that we find in this world, people that I love, people that, are, people that have been in relationship with each other now are, are fighting with each other, are polarizing over all kinds of issues. Relationships are being broken, and I've wanted to say, God, I've been gripping this plow for so long. Can I let go? And I feel the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit reminding me. Rich, remember? Remember back then in 2000 when it was so dark, when it was so heavy, and you were walking and you were following me and you just wanted to quit, but remember my presence? Remember how I was with you? Rich, remember back in 2005 when you had this dream and this plan to start this church and, and man, you went through such hard times trying to make this happen. It seemed scary and it seemed difficult, but look at the harvest that has come. I'm reminded of the fact that this world that we live in is not our home and that we actually have an eternal home. That one day we will be able to let go of the plow because we are in the presence of Jesus. So I guess what I'm asking you today is will you commit? Will you commit? Will you commit to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time? If you're sitting here listening to me, You've never made that decision to say, Jesus, you be, you be the Lord of my life. Will you make that choice right now? Will you, if you're married, will you recommit to your marriage? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you find that your life has become a little bit lukewarm, you're not on fire for him anymore. You're not really going after Jesus much anymore. You kind of have the, the world out here. You're one foot in the world and one foot over here. Will you commit to go all in with Christ? In fact, in the comment section, you can write this, uh, this, little, this little statement. I commit to, wherever you're watching, whether you're watching on Facebook or, or on YouTube, maybe you can respond by saying, I commit to blank, whatever it is. I kind of pulled a few people this past couple weeks and Here's what some people said. I commit to listening more and talking less. A person I was talking to about the whole racial tension stuff, they, they made that commitment. I'm going to listen more and talk less. Another person said, I commit to getting to know my neighbors by name and praying for them. Another person said, I commit to affirming my spouse every day. That's hard work, but it's a great commitment. Another person said, I commit to praying daily. I commit to reading God's word daily starting today. I commit to giving faithfully and breaking the, breaking the fear of doing without. Some people, some person said that, hey, you know, I've been, I struggled to give faithfully. I've struggled to, to tithe because I'm afraid that I might do without. And this person said, I'm committing myself to giving faithfully. I commit to surrendering my plans and my life to Jesus. So I'd love to challenge you to commit, to be specific to be bold, to tell God exactly what you're committing to. Let's not be like these, these three would-be followers who, who, who wanted the benefits of being with Jesus, but not necessarily the commitment. Let's be field workers who are gonna, willing to get our hands dirty, who are willing to grip the plow and never look back again. That's our commitment.
Let me pray for you. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for everything that you have done for us. Right now, Father, you see our lives. You see where we are. You know everything about us, God. You know the areas of our life where we have not fully committed ourselves to you. You know those, those among us who have basically said, I give you everything. Right now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you'll step into every room every home that might be listening right now, every person might be listening even in the future, that Holy Spirit, you will begin to speak and that today they would make a commitment to follow you, Jesus. To follow you with their whole heart, with their whole being. They would commit to loving their wife again, loving their husband again. They would commit to faithfully following, to forsaking other things. Sometimes, Lord, in this, in this journey of, of following you, there comes this crossroad where we have to make a decision. And the decision is between following you, Jesus, or comfort. Father, will you help us to always choose to follow you? Today, Father, as a church, we commit ourselves to doing the hard things. We commit ourselves to saying yes when Holy Spirit, you call us, when the wind begins to blow and and our sails are lifted and you're taking us into uncharted waters. Holy Spirit, we commit ourselves to saying yes to that and not pulling back. We commit ourselves to saying yes, Jesus. And right now, Father, I pray for my friends who are listening and watching that you'll help them today, right now, to say yes to Jesus, to commit to following you with everything inside of them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.